So when Neil asked me if I'd come up here and speak about my faith on Christmas Eve, well, I was intimidated, nervous, and quite frankly questioned his ability to pick someone to come up here and speak on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I mean, I've heard people talk about their testimony. I've even had people ask me about mine. But while I know my walk with Jesus has been something I've tried to wrap my arms around, Truth is, I didn't have that unique or unusual moment. No burning bush like Moses had, no God intervention like Saul on the road to Damascus, not even a vision in a dream or a sighting of a biblical figure in a cookie shrubber on a wall. <laughs> now, I couldn't truly tell you about my faith without at least telling you a little bit about myself and my past. I was brought up a Catholic by parents who loved God. I mean, they would insist I show up at church on Sundays and especially holidays. The only problem with this was that we never opened the Bible. I spent my time reading the Bolton during Mass, or worse, thinking about the day's football games. I definitely like to think I got my worth ethic from my parents. My mom was a nurse, worked all kinds of hours. My dad was forced to quit school at a young age to care for a family who couldn't care for, care for themselves. And once I realized I had some ability at selling, well, I jumped in both feet. By now, I was married to my love, Annette. Probably had my first daughter at this point, Shannon. We had bought a house in the Devoncrest area of Aya thanks to the help of Annette's dad, who gave us a payment for, uh, the, the money for the down payment. But then, I was going to take over from there. I was going to pay him back. I was going to buy us a bigger place, better cars, and someday, anything our kids wanted. It didn't matter to me that I left my family at 5 a.m. every day and got home whenever I got home. I would get us what I needed. God, well, he was there when I needed him, like winter boots in a snowstorm or that long-needed gas station off the highway when you're running out of gas. But as long as he didn't get in the way of my plan, which was to work my brains out and make all kinds of money so we could retire whenever we got sick of this stuff. See, what I didn't realize at that time was that I wasn't in control of everything. It wasn't all about me. And God would show me later that we'd follow his plan. Fast forward to January 2006. I met with a few doctors, and although they said the different things, the end result was that I had cancer. And it became clear to me for the first time that not everything is in my control. Now all cancers are different, but for me it meant going to Boston every 21 days for about seven hours. And Annette would tell you at this point in my life, staying still for 15 minutes would be considered a miracle. So here, here I am getting chemo for seven hours each treatment, and I'm going through the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald in about an hour. So I come into grips with the fact that I have cancer and my own mortality. I thought maybe this is a good time to open up that Bible. And like most new Christians, I was both horrified and blown away. I mean, this God was tough and played by tough rules. You know, the price for sin was death. Cursing, gossip, stealing, murder, they're all the same. Sin is sin. This wasn't good. I mean, I went through life knowing I wasn't as bad as that other guy. So things would be okay. So I thought thought I had this thing figured out. I'd simply pull over on the side of the road, confess all my skin, sins, be saved. Unfortunately, pulling back into traffic and getting cut off, I'd curse like a madman in the car. Sin. I'd read more and I'd figure in my head what God wanted me to do. If I helped enough people, you know, Annette and I had always done that. Or if I figured out enough good things to do, then the rest wouldn't matter. I'll get my family into heaven by works. The more I read, the more I realized that didn't work that way. I was in trouble. I mean, I broke some commandments, and I was doomed. Okay, I get it, this whole forgiveness thing. I mean, Jesus is a great guy if you wanted to hang out with somebody. But, you know, when you turn your life over to him, and then you sin a few minutes later, well, he couldn't allow me into heaven. I mean, I had friends tell me about this whole seven times 70 that we read in Matthew. But that was for the guys who, you know, maybe work on the Sabbath or gossip just a little bit. Not the real sinners. Like most new Christians, I had the feeling that Jesus won't allow me into heaven because I didn't live my whole life serving him. And then panic set in. I was not the teacher for Shannon and Kelly that I was supposed to be. What could I do to make up for that? Or what could I do to make up for not being the best husband? I thought my life not only affected me, but other people, my family. I figured God was mad, and that wasn't good for me. But don't worry, I'll think my way through this. You know, outsmart God. Now, I have a very close friend named John Holmes. I'd split Patriots tickets with him for 10 years or more, actually. 
And John was the best of guys. I mean, he loved everyone. And he always wanted everyone included in everything we did. Great guy to be around. I even began to notice a little change in him. I mean, with John, the nice got nicer. The generous got more generous. And he kept telling me about this church he wants me to try, Grace and Hudson. Or this men's retreat he wanted me to attend. He started ending all our phone calls with, I'm praying for you. I never went to Grace with John, after all. Sunday service got in the way of my tea time. We're getting ready for the day's football. Well, if God didn't get my attention through my cancer, he was sure about to. Well, I was going to pick up John to attend a Patriots-Jaguars game in 2007. He called me to say that he would meet me at the stadium. Don't give away his ticket. He had a few headaches and was dizzy, and his wife, Lynn, insisted he get, get it checked out. Well, John never made it to the game and was gone five and a half months later. Died of a brain tumor. Over a sick time, I kept seeing one of John's new friends. Guy I didn't know named Walt Moody. Now, Walt is a man who just loves God with every fiber of his being, a missionary who teaches the people the Bible. Walt was there when I did finally make it to Grace for the first time to eulogize John at his funeral. After speaking with Walt and praying, God led me and my family here to hope. They had an energetic young pastor, a lot of young families, growing a somewhat new church. We loved it. So here I am, speaking to all of you about my faith, my testimony. Well, thanks to the friendship of Neil, along with the Sunday sermons and the friendship of Walt and his weekly Bible studies, I have slowly come to realize that our walk with Jesus is not an overnight vision, but a lifelong journey. Could he love me no matter what? Well, Walt would ask me all the time what Shannon and Kelly could do to make me stop loving them. And the answer is nothing. I will love them forever through anything. Could God really forgive me? Well, I'm the father of two beautiful teenage girls. So have I flown off the handle only to find out that I had a few of the facts wrong? Yes. Has that been the unfair recipient of a rant because of a bad business deal or my frustrations over my own inequities? Yes. However, every night they would all say, I love you. And the next morning, I would wake up to a hug and then I love you. Forgiveness and love, seven times 70. I think God gave us the Ten Commandments as a mirror for us to see that we can't do this alone. The I I kept talking about is now a he. His will, his plan, his glory. Tonight, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, God's ultimate gift. Through his son, we're allowed to have a relationship with God. You know, while I started believing this back in my head in 2006, it's only been in the last few months, thanks to an accumulation of many things coming together at once. The teachings of Neil and Walt, the unconditional love of my family and friends, and helping out at Lighthouse Mission and seeing both God's great blessings and what breaks his heart under the same roof that has finally reached my heart. If you have not felt this in your heart, I pray you all do the same tonight. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you, John. I'm uh, Bruce Galtney. This is my wife, Amanda. And we're going to read some verses. First, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then 1 John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only. We came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Next scripture is Hebrew 1, 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. Oops. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Thank you, Bruce and Amanda. And thank you, John, for sharing your story with us. You know, season is, Christmas is said to be the season for giving. And we love to give, and we love to receive. I think the full parking lots at the mall the last week have been evidence of that, if nothing else. But, you know, there's one thing we hate to give, and, and I think even more so hate to receive this time of year, and that's to get a cold from somebody else. <laughs> you know, it, it just stinks to be sick on Christmas, doesn't it? Sneezing and coughing all over the gifts and presents. It's just not high on anybody's list of Christmas traditions, is it? But let me tell you, I don't think being sick is all bad on Christmas. I may be a little warped. My kids think I'm a little socially awkward. But I think in some ways, having some sickness around us is a great reminder about the purposes of Christmas. You know, it's not just good to get you out of going to crazy Aunt Sally's that you get to stay home while everybody else has to go. But it really is a tangible reminder of the purpose of Christmas. You know, this season here at Hope Chapel, we've been exploring some of the messages of Advent, of the coming of Christ. We've been trying to cut through all the clutter because it's so easy for us to miss the purpose of the Incarnation. There's lots of things to distract us. All the shopping and the parties and the decorating and, and the travel and all that kind of stuff. And it was very easy in the first century to miss the purpose of Christmas. I mean, the whole world was traveling because of the census, as we heard read just a few minutes ago. There was all kinds of details related to Christmas that could amaze us and distract us from the prime purpose. There were angels appearing in the skies and singing to the shepherds. There were these guys who followed this dramatic star from the east and came and brought special gifts. There were all kinds of things that could distract us and distract those who participated in it from the meaning and the purpose of Christmas. But we've been trying to cut through all that and understand the purpose of Christmas. Why is it that Jesus had to be incarnated in the first place? Why is it that God, from the very beginning of creation had planned to take the DNA of his only son and plant it in the womb of a virgin young woman to have it grow like any other fetus and experience all of the violence of the birth canal and be birthed out into a world that might be okay or it might be a difficult place. Why did all that have to happen? Why did he grow up before us with wisdom, growing in favor with God and men? Why was all that necessary? Why was the cross necessary? What's the purpose of the Incarnation? Well, we've been trying to figure out that answer through some of Jesus' own statements in the Gospels. We've been looking at phrases like, The Son of Man has come, or I have come. And tonight we come to one from the fifth Gospel, fifth, fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Let me read the focal verse for you and then read it for you in context. In verses 31 and 32 of that chapter, we hear Jesus say, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's read it in context. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, well, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. 
The purpose of Christmas? The purpose of the incarnation? Why did Jesus come? It says he came to call the sinners to repentance. To minister to those who are sick. So you see in the warped way that I can see the world, having people or yourself being sick with a common cold can in some ways be a living testimony, a living nativity to the purpose of Christmas. Because Jesus came to minister to the sick, that is, the spiritually sick, the sinners. That's what Christmas is all about. You know, and you know, it's incredibly important for us to recognize that truth. And maybe more so at a holiday season than any other time in the course of a year. None of us likes to go to the doctor when during the holidays, do we? I mean, none of you... I had to cancel an allergy appointment in August because we went on a short vacation. The only appointment they could give me between August and February was late Wednesday afternoon before Thanksgiving. Because nobody wants to go to the doctor during the holidays, right? And that was the only time I could get an appointment. Sometimes, even in the midst of our Christmas celebration, if we don't know we're sick, we don't really reach out for the full and central meaning of Christmas, which is that Jesus has come to minister to the sick and to call the sinners to repentance. You know, see, if we don't see our own sickness, our own spiritual sickness, we'll never turn to the divine physician who can heal us. That child who was born a virgin in the little town of Bethlehem, but grew up to be the Christ, the Messiah, who died on the cross. What does it mean to be sick in the spiritual sense? What does it mean to be a sinner? You know, Luke's been exploring throughout this whole fifth chapter the theme of healing. Starts out with healing a leper. The socially repulsive. The ones that nobody wanted to touch. Then he heals the paralytic. And in the midst of it, he tells them that his sins have been forgiven. But there's this, this idea in there that, that he is ministering and calling back the helpless and the worthless to God. But here he comes to Levi, the tax collector. We know him from the first gospel as Matthew. And he actually became the author of our first gospel in the New Testament. He's just a normal guy who was a spiritual outcast. I don't think his story was a whole lot different than John's. Grew up, came time to leave the nest, got to make a living, got to find a way to get ahead and provide for my family and get ready for my retirement. Being a tax collector was lucrative. It paid really well. Matthew was clearly probably the most wealthiest of all of the disciples. Yet, there were some drawbacks that went with that role because it made you a spiritual outcast. To be a tax collector was to be a thief, was to be a traitor, was to be excommunicated from the synagogue. You had no access to God. You were alienated and isolated. But hey, sometimes that's just the cost of doing business, isn't it, in the world? Being successful somehow or another means that we just got to kind of do life our way. John used the word I over and over and over again. I had to go out. I had to make those sales. I I had to provide. And we just get caught up in all of that. And you know what? The scripture would say that doing life our way instead of God's way, that's sin. Doing life without God is sin. Sure, God may be there. As John talked about, the, the obligatory church service every Sunday. But then out into the world to kind of do our own thing. That's what's needed. That's what's expected. God's a nice idea, but in the real world, you just do life on your own. And we find ourselves alienated and isolated from God. And in this message of Christmas, Jesus says, I have come not to minister to the healthy, but to the sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, the only difference between the religious leaders and Levi was that he recognized his spiritual sickness. They were all spiritually sick. 
The religious leaders were certainly at odds with Jesus. They were isolated from God because God was right in their midst and they were fighting against Him. But Levi saw his spiritual sickness. He recognized his need for the great physician. And he welcomed him. You see, the religious leaders, if you, you would, maintained their commitment to salvation by segregation. All i got to do is be better than the next guy and I'll be alright with God. How many times have we heard that in our spiritual journeys? Huh? Somebody is not happy right now. So, that sounded like a little bang. So many of you know, of us say, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a pretty good person. And there are people who are far worse than me. And we try to do salvation by segregation. That's what the religious leaders were trying to do. That's why they were upset that Jesus was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. But God offers us a new way of salvation. Salvation by association. Associating with a great physician. The one who's come to call sinners to repentance. So being sick, admitting our spiritual sickness, can bring great depth to our experience of Christmas. The celebration of the incarnation. Because in our sickness, we respond to the great physician who has become flesh. And as we respond in faith, we are healed and we are reborn spiritually. Believe it or not, that's still happening today. That's why we had John tell you his story. It's happened to me. You kind of expect it of the religious professional, don't you? But it happens to ordinary guys who run their own businesses and raise their own families. It still happens today that Jesus calls sinners to repentance and they're healed and they're made new. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say a word about how we reach out to that infant and become healed. There are two profound words that we found in this text. They are the words repentance and the words follow. Repentance means to change. It means to turn. It means that we confess or admit our sinfulness to God, our desire and our habit of to do life without Him. And, and as we recognize that, we turn and we ask for His forgiveness based on that ultimate confession of our faith in Him. And as we, are, and as we confess it, we, are, we invest our lives in Him by our faith. This leads to the second element of following Him. The experience of being healed or spiritually being reborn to eternal life leads to a total lifelong commitment to walking with God, living for God. It's interesting that in the case of Levi, the call to follow demanded an immediate and a total adjustment of his life. I, should, I will tell you that Jesus Christ should be the greatest cause of the reversal of your life fortunes that you've ever met. Often we think that we have to have a reversal of our life fortunes before we ever reach out to Christ. But Jesus should be the cause of our greatest reversal of life fortune because He's come to call sinners to repentance and to follow Him. So Christmas is a perfect time for a spiritual checkup. If you're sick, in the sense of our scripture for tonight, hear Jesus' call to repentance. I want to invite you to do a couple of things if you're in that scenario tonight and you're ready to experience the full meaning of Christmas. One, in just a moment, I'm going to offer a prayer and I invite you to follow along silently in your own heart. A prayer of confession, much like Levi would have prayed. I would also invite you to take, and, and in your, if you're ready to take that step into faith, we have these cards in the back of our pews. They're, no, they're nothing fancy, but what I'd like for you to do is just take it and fill out, fill it out. And as you leave tonight, you can go by our next steps table right out in the lobby, and they'll give you a great, some great resources that are reflected on the front of that card that you can use to get off on this great journey of following Him. Take that step. Be healed by the healing touch of the one who has come to call sinners to repentance. If you're already made well, that experience of faith is somewhere in your rearview mirror. How well are you? Just how healthy are you? Are you experiencing the true Christmas health? 
Are you f- totally following God? Sometimes we might find ourselves acting like the righteous and not responding to the call of the one who was born to minister to the sick and to call sinners to repentance. As Levi's experience reveals, any allegiance to Christ that is not complete, marked with total transformation of life, simply isn't a healthy one. Would you join me as we pray? God, we marvel at the virgin birth. We marvel at the simple surroundings of the manger and the cave. We marvel at the outcasts like the shepherds being the first to hear about the birth of this Savior and having this great joy announced to them. Father, we marvel at the wise men who followed a star from thousands of miles away to meet the newborn king. But Father, we marvel tonight that you sent your son into the world, still God, but fully man, that he might call sinners like me, sinners like us, to repentance, to experience new spiritual health as our lives are made new in Jesus Christ. If you've never experienced that touch of Christ and are ready to take that step tonight to embrace the fullness of the impact of Christmas, you could pray a prayer just like this in your heart. God, I want to be able to forget my past because I've experienced your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I place my faith in you and surrender my life to Christ. And I commit to honoring Christ in all I do as I go forward. Thank you, God, for being a God who's come to minister to the sick and to call us to be your children. And we pray in the name of your child, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Amen.